1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Welcome, 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 welcome to the Trampling Hall podcast. I am your host. I am Misha Globerman. I'm the host of the podcast and also of the live show. What is Trampoline Hall? I hear you ask. Funny you ask, since you ask that every episode. And I will give you the same answer I always give you, which is this. Trampling Hall is a lecture series. It's a lecture series that takes place in a bar, usually in Toronto, sometimes in other cities. Um, People speak on topics on which they are not professionally expert. It might be a lifelong passion. It might be something they just learned about. Sometimes they're ridiculous, sometimes they're very serious, but it cannot be their job to know the thing. After each lecture, we do a question and answer with the audience. I am the guy who does that. Um, And then uh, we do it again, we do it again. People have drinks, they go home, they have a great time. Uh, In the podcast, it's the same thing, except you're already home. You don't have to go home. Uh, It's fantastic. Here we go. The podcast on each episode... We have one lecture Uh, this season, all the lectures are chosen by Kate Bars, who went through the archives and chose uh, lectures for you. What lecture did she choose uh, in this episode? I will tell you in this episode, oh, this episode, she actually chose a uh, repeat episode. If you're a longtime listener of the podcast, you might think, wow, I've heard this episode before. Well, you're in luck. You're going to hear it again. The topic is the perfect baguette and the lecturer is Mark Ben David.
1: I always feel like you should adjust the mic even if you don't really need to just because that's what's done or something. Yeah, I know. What is the perfect baguette? Maybe the question in itself insinuates too much judgment right off the bat. Maybe it suggests that the Frenchist of all things must naturally be concerned with perfection and maybe that just shuts half of us right down anyways. After all, isn't the baguette the emblem of the working class and the only bread in France whose price is declared and protected by federal law? Maybe then my question is wrong. What is a true baguette? What characteristics does a baguette have that bring it closest in form, texture, weight and taste to what a baguette should be? And more importantly, why is the ideal of a true baguette important to uphold anyway? To defend the baguette is to defend our right to live properly. I don't mean richly or more like the French. It it just so happens that in the past 150 years, they have built a just society upheld by a pillar of patience and compassion, and that pillar is the baguette. (laughs) I began baking when I was about eight or nine. My mother generally indulged me. I had a ferocious sweet tooth, um, but there was something more about the nature of baking which mystified me. After I assembled its components, it began to have a life of its own. I started with simple stuff. I experimented with pound cakes. I made the ice cream cones for my 10th birthday. Uh, we, often visited f- <laughs> we often visited family in New York, and for Independence Day one year, my cousin PJ and I made giant Rice Krispies square decorated with clumpy homemade icing as the American flag. Now. Lest you think I was born with some freakish talent to get every formula perfectly right, remember that every good baker fails a hell of a lot more than he succeeds at first. Once, for example, taking over from my mother on a Saturday morning crepe breakfast, I used whole wheat flour on a whim, uh, and we had six chickens at the time, and none of them would even touch them, because we certainly wouldn't. The chickens will eat poo, for those of you who don't know, (laughs) but they wouldn't eat the pancakes. Anyways, for the following Christmas I asked Santa for a chef's hat. I was 10 years old. Now speaking of chickens, my most persistent fantasy in my childhood uh, came from a picture book we were read in school. La petite poule rousse was a hen who one fine day comes across some grains of wheat. Touched by some unknowable force, she overcomes her impulse to eat them and decides instead to plant the wheat to make bread. She solicits help from her various farmhouse friends to sow, harvest, and mill her wheat, and then to knead her dough and stoke the fire. But they all have more pressing commitments, and she is uh, is forced to execute every step of the process herself. Needless to say, when the loaves come out of the oven, everybody wants some. That story seduced me. I wanted to plant wheat, build a windmill, scratch the leftover clumps of mealy flour from the millstone's wedges. I wanted to turn those wingfuls of wheat into a baguette. Why? Baking felt good. It, like planting a garden, it, it attained an alignment of work and reward that I could, to a certain degree, control and the reward for the work didn't depend on the approval of others, or if it did, those others were unseen forces or God or luck, but it was ultimately an independent act. I could decide what I wanted to make, follow the recipe and produce something. To take up the bag of flour is to accept a timeless challenge. Our curiosity Our creativity and our hunger, the triple inheritance from our ancestors, wills us to take up that challenge. And as we do so, invisible forces, physics, chemistry, biology, history, spirits, ghosts, they all hold court above our hands or our wingtip thingies and decide among themselves whether we pass or fail. When Marcel Proust wrote The Remembrance of Things Past, it made the Madeleine, a small and unimposing French pastry, famous. In the book, the narrator is weary and dull after a day of doing nothing, with only the prospect of a depressing morrow. At first, he doesn't even feel like tear biscuits. But the moment the Madeline touches his tongue, he is flooded with potently beautiful memories from his childhood. He says... No sooner had the warm liquid and the crumbs with it touched my palate than a shudder ran through my body and I stopped, intent upon the extraordinary changes that were taking place. An exquisite pleasure had invaded my senses. I felt something start within me, something that has been embedded like an anchor at a great depth. I do not know what it is, but I can feel it mounting slowly. I can measure the the resistance and I can hear the echo of great spaces traversed. What the narrator is talking about is the profound happiness he felt as a child when he visited his aunt in the countryside. The taste reminds him suddenly of the park full of flowers and the cobbled streets and the spring air, and finally his smiling aunt herself in her bedroom on Sunday mornings, greeting him with a soft morsel of her own Madeleine dipped for him in her own cup of tea. Now the baguette has something of the prosaic beauty of a mathematical formula to it. In 1993, the French government passed a law, law 931074, stating that traditional baguette could contain only four ingredients, flour, water, salt, and yeast. And from this anemic list, the baker must create something delicious, moist, chewy in the mouth, and almost hard enough to break a filling. What happens is this. Among the thousands of molecules found in wheat, three most important ones are gliadin, glutenin, and starch. When the gliadin and the glutenin come in contact with each other and with water, they begin to assemble in long elastic chains called gluten. The more they sit around and the more they are moved, the longer and stronger these chains become. Gluten is like the steel infrastructure in in a building. Um, The starches on their own are flavorless. They're complex carbohydrates that are too massive for our palates to derive flavor from. Enter the yeast. An organism which feeds on those massive molecules and breaks them down into myriad smaller ones which we can taste. And as they do so, they fart out little carbon dioxide farts which leaven the dough. <laughs> the thing is, you, can't, you can make all these things happen rather quickly if you want to. If you wanted to make a baguette and you started right now, in three, ou- three hours flat, you'd have just that. But it would only resemble a baguette. You could keep the dough extra warm to speed up the rise and throw in a little sugar to jumpstart the leavening but the baguette could serve as a prop and not much more. When yeast works fast, it tires out. It produces lots of gas very fast and then chokes itself on it, literally. It's the 100-meter sprint. The secret, which stands stubbornly in the face of good economics and business, is that good bread takes time. By slowing down the process, you keep the dough cool, And as it rises, you punch out the CO2 and you put the yeast on a slow jog, which in the end produces countless different sugars, running the flavor gamut from nuts and caramel to malt and wood. And then in a professional oven, it bakes the baguettes at about 650 degrees, and it has a steam injection mechanism, which for the first few minutes of baking, hardens the crust. As the heat forces the steam into the outside few millimeters of the dough, the starch molecules gelatinize into a sort of wet skin which, after the oven dries up and continues to get hotter, becomes a hard shell. And if you're willing to throw cups of boiling water into a hot oven several times as you bake, you can imitate these ovens at home. So, a true baguette will surprise you by the lightness of its weight and the pungent sweetness of its smell. The tops, quickly slashed with blades just prior to baking, allow the inner crumb to expand and bloom out. They should have hardened. These cuts are called the grigne. This translates as a fold of the lips to show the teeth. Yes, your baguette should be grinning at you, and that grin should be hard. Hard enough that if you accidentally were to strike someone behind you in line at the bakery, it should draw blood. And if you should find yourself biking, as French people are prone to do, it should last a few miles under your arm without changing shape. So a few summers ago, I needed a job, and I went to one of the priciest French restaurants in the city. The restaurant and its adjacent bakery were run by an Alsatian man. We'll call him M for the purpose of this lecture. His wife, a militant Bosnian woman, let's call her B, had platinum hair and a face mostly obscured by massive sunglasses. She would pull up in a black SUV around four o'clock in an actual cloud of smoke and her hair in curlers and 6,000 keys on her keychain. She was like, Imagine Donatella Versace, but beautiful and dressed as a stormtrooper. <laughs> she terrified me. I loved M. He fulfilled the stereotype requirements of the French chef audaciously. He was fat and mercurial. The kitchen was his empire, and like an emperor, He didn't do much. His minions chopped and filleted and sauced and fried, while on occasion he poked steaks to check their readiness. He cursed incessantly. Once he referred to his previous wife as a cunt to their 12-year-old son. (laughs) He chain-smoked in the kitchen just beyond view of the patrons who dropped on average 150 bucks for their meals. But a creative force burned inside this man. His sourdough cultures lived in great white buckets in the coat room. He claimed they were made from a bacterial culture started by his baker grandfather in France 100 years ago. He'd smuggled them into Canada, and now they bubbled and farted underneath the checked mink coats. He said, any fucking asshole can make bread from baker's yeast. That's easy. Sourdough is different. At the time, his bread, while insanely overpriced, was better than anyone's. It had substance. It was chewy. When you bit some off, the part that remained in your hand bounced back slowly to its original shape. The crust was rock hard, and while his success depended on Torontonians accepting that there was something magical about his bread which made 25 cents of ingredients worth 5.75, the bread was actually simple. It took a day and a half to prepare. It fermented slowly. It rested overnight. There weren't any unpronounceable ingredients in it. He treated the grain with compassion and patience, and in return, it bought him a mansion in Rosedale and shopping trips for B to New York every month. (laughs) A few years ago, Nigella Lawson was in town signing copies of her latest book. It was late October and it was raining and cold, and I thought, she's far from her children, she's far from home, how can I comfort this woman? (laughs) So I baked for her. I invented components as I went along, And then I wondered as I waited in line whether I would be accosted by her handlers or snubbed at by one of her many assistants. And when I finally stepped up to her podium, because they had put her like this queen up on this podium, um, I just blurted out, I hope it's not against book signing protocol to offer you something I baked. And she looked at me troubled uh, and concerned like a mother would look at a child who's expressed some sort of self-doubt unnecessarily. And then finally she said, No, of course not. How kind. It smells fantastic. (laughs) Nigella understood. Of course she did. Amid all the kerfuffle around around us, we were two strangers meeting on a deserted country road, shaking hands, discussing the weather or the almanac or whatever. Everything else, the photographers, the crowd, the knot in my stomach, her copious bosom, everything vanished. (laughs) (laughs) The baker doesn't bake to impress or show off. It is a private act born of an impulse, which after 4,000 years we cannot suppress, or I cannot suppress. I bake because it makes deep sense to do so. I bake to give away the bread more than to eat it, and it is that urge to feed others which makes us all bakers, standing alone before a bag of flour, contemplating the possibilities. The smell of bread baking, like the taste of the Madeleine, awakens some primordial memory in us which brings us running to the oven, I think we all belong in front of. Mm-hmm.
0: <clears throat> You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. And I'm Nisha Goldman. Up next, we have QA. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash
1: people today.
0: Are there are there any questions? Why you, sir? Yeah. Uh, is it too personal to ask what Nigella's
1: response to your cooking?
0: Yeah, how did Nigella like your bacon? Okay,
1: well, this is the part that does, isn't as sort of nice. I, I, she, was, she was wonderful, and and I, I opened it up, and she said it smelled fantastic, and um, then she sort of passed it to one of her assistants and said that she was going to eat it all later that night. So whether she, like, sent it to the FBI or something, I'm not sure. But she liked the smell <laughs>
0: That's the first. That's the first step. Do the accent again. It was
1: rubbish. A real British person. Oh. Maybe she's from a different part of England.
0: There's lots of
1: parts in England. Oh,
0: nice. He thought the accent was rubbish. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you enjoy cooking as much as you enjoy baking? I do you enjoy cooking as much as baking?
1: Yeah, but it's m- not the same sort of spiritual experience. Cooking is fun and fine and I probably do it a lot more than I bake, but it doesn't feel uh the same way. How come? Uh, because it's all you doing it. Nice. It's or it's all me doing it and it's there's like it's just it's me and it's food and whatever. But when you when you bake something it's sort of like This agreement with what you're creating—that if you behave as you're supposed to, it will behave—and you never really know if it's going to until it's all over. Right.
0: And it all happens without you. Like it's kind of you set it in motion, and then it's like, okay, it's like Uh, a baby. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. If you're a very bad parent, it's like a baby. (laughs) You just set it going, and then you come back, and when it's done, you see if it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes, you sir. Yes. So here's the
1: baguette. The end game, or is it? Well, that's the wonderful thing about the baguette. If you, have, if you don't have Nutella or cheese or butter or anything, it can be the end game in itself if it's good enough. Um, no, what's for you? Oh, oh for you, me? So for you, do you like to have a baguette just on its own, or do you like to have it with other things? Is that no, the question? Baguette is like a desert island food. If there was only one thing, like it would go for that. But I, I eat so much bread that it's never really just... like I always want to smother it with something else. Yeah, cheese, butter, Nutella.
0: And that's not, that's not like a controversial choice in the in the baguette circles. Like people aren't, I don't, there aren't I, people who are like, you should just have a meal of baguette. <laughs> but that's not I a... I don't think so. Okay, good, good. Um, uh, I, well, I'll go to you, sir, yes, as I drop more papers. Okay. I so, went, to, uh, went to a restaurant, a Tunisian sub, where they scoop out the middle of the
1: baguette. Those are horrible people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, I was just doing a thought of what, you know, what people are
0: gutting a baguette. So people hear that over there? That, okay, you heard it.
1: Okay, good. <laughs> That's the Tunisian baker people. No. Um, and you're wondering what my thoughts about that are? Is it okay you to hollow it, yeah. out the center of a baguette yeah, to fill it up okay. with Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. You can do whatever you want to the baguette. I have been known to do that myself sometimes. Again, I keep mentioning Nutella, but sometimes you do just want to have, like, crust and chocolate without the crumb inside. So, yeah, feel comfortable in doing that. Yeah. And
0: are you just saying that, or do you really think it's okay?
1: No, I do think it's okay.
0: All right, and then what do they what do they do with the bread? Do they just like throw it out, or can I have to, You ask for the extra bread, and what do they say? Oh, was it was your sandwich. Was it? Are they making a sandwich for someone else? You're like, hey, do you, you guys are just throwing that out? I'll make like a backwards Tunisian sub where I wrap the meat around the inside of the bag.
1: I Tunisian sub, when they gave me the inside, so it was <laughs> kind of mushy. It was mushy from the digging, so it's not yeah. so good. Because like a, a a real a real baguette like it's so chewy and tough inside that you can't just scoop it all right out. So, but maybe they were using counterfeit baguettes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um. yes you, sir. Yes. I've heard that uh, when Marie Antoinette said "let's eat cake," it was actually bread. Is
1: that? It was brioche. She said "let's eat brioche," which was a sort of colloquial French way of saying cake. Yeah. So it
0: was cake literally. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm glad, I'm glad we
1: cleared that up. Well, a brioche, a brioche is sort of halfway bet- between bread and a cake, where it's, it's fermented and kneaded like a regular dough, but it's enriched with eggs and butter and sugar, so, so I guess right, it's... Was she being, I guess, was she actually being practical or not? Like, yeah, was she, she actually, actually saying, like... I mean, like, did, did she... We don't... I mean, who knows if she even said that. It serves our purposes as post-Marie antoinette is to say that she was a wicked old... <laughs> she was a wicked old bitch that would say something like, let them eat cake. But... Um, you know, Does anyone heard.
0: know? Is it, is it true that no one knows whether she said it? Because some of those things, people, people know that stuff. So no one knows that? No one knows whether she really said that? What's the point of having so many people in one room if no one's going <laughs> to no know a simple fact about Marie Antoinette? Okay, all right. Um, sorry, I will move on from my disappointment and try to... Yes, yes, you. Yes, you. Where's the best place to get a
1: true baguette and where's the
0: best place to get a perfect baguette? Where's the best place to get... Wow, that's a fine, a fine... A best place to get a true baguette and a perfect baguette. And do you mean in the world or yeah. do you mean... In the whole world, wide okay. In well, the world.
1: a true. Uh, first, I'll say that I think a true and a perfect baguette are the same thing, in the end. Um, and you can, I mean, you can get one in a good bread baker's kitchen. Um, there's a place on Roncesvalles that sells them. It's called Mabel's Bakery, and they sell baguettes. Um, the French chef, whose name I can't mention, sells a really perfect baguette. Um, why can't Why can't you mention his? Oh, because all those things are mean, and I shouldn't. Okay, because you don't want him to know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's Mark, it's Mark, uh, it's marked to it. <laughs> All
0: right. Okay, so, that, so the best place, the perfect, the but perfect it's excru- not
1: necessarily France. Like I've had the worst, the worst baguette, actually I've had the worst food across the thing of, of in France. So you can't just go to Paris and expect to have the best baguette because they'll sell you shit baguettes, no problem. Um, you, what, you, what you want to do is find a place that takes a day and a half to make their baguettes instead of a few hours. Yeah, but Brick Street makes good baguette as well.
0: So there you go. Thanks for Yes, yes, it does. Yes, you, the lady who knows the baker. <laughs> if, if, if something like a, like a perfectly grilled fish mm-hmm. defines a really good cook, mm-hmm. is it the baguette that
1: really defines a great baker, or is it
0: something else? So the question is whether the baguette is the best test of the great
1: baker, much of well, the okay, piece of fish. Well, OK, greatness is measured by like the ability to wrestle complexity, then I would say no. Because once you know how to make a good baguette, uh, you can just sort of do it with your eyes closed. I'd say something that's a more that would sort of describe an amazing baker would be something like a really perfectly crispy on the outside, soft on the inside, unrolling oily croissant like that's. That's,
0: that's, that's, hard. that's a better test. Yeah, so the baguette—not a, a delicious bread, but not a good test. Yeah. Okay, good. So that's 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 good to know. Um, uh, yeah. Yes, you, sir. Yes. Is there a history of serious wounding from the baguette? A lot of people get hurt from the baguette. I
1: don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Although there was a theory that the original reason that they shaped it in a long thing like that was so that the uh, Napoleonic soldiers could stick it in their boots as they were walking away to war. So maybe I can imagine someone in a desperate moment like having lost his bayonet, just like... (laughs) But there's so no. Stick it
0: in their boots you mean just like as a way to store it, like if yeah, because like, they had they had these you, like
1: like you, as a way to store it and carry it around. Because it's given to people as like their bread. daily bread, you know, like prisoners in France, for example, they get like a baguette and like brushing it across the day. It's it's one of the things that they get. So, so you had like a
0: like a, a, a bunch of dinner rolls that would be unwieldy. Yeah. Carry. yeah. But you have a long. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, uh, yes. Yes, you yes, sir. Yes. If, if, if the tradition of that were Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, what's the relation between the steam injection oven and tradition? Because presumably that's not something that they had originally. They didn't have this like special steam injection oven.
1: Yeah. Well, my idea. Well, my thought is more that the madeleine re- reflects something that sort of harkens back to an earlier period where someone took the time to prepare a madeleine for this child. And the baguette right now, because we're used to, and we were all born in the era of steam injection ovens, we're used to like good, crunchy baguettes, that that, for us, is something that represents a true and solid baguette.
0: So, but the baguette now, the perfect baguette now, is, is, it diff- is it actually different than it was 150 years ago? <clears throat> Absolutely. And is it better? Is it like a technological improvement, do you think, because of the I don't steam know. I oven? don't know.
1: I mean, you'd have a hard time getting the hardness of a crust from a good baguette, that long ago, but then again, they probably developed steam injection ovens because bakers were making a habit of like pouring hot water into the ovens to sort of mimic that. So, so. maybe
0: they got a similar process, but just not as yeah. not as automated. I was sort of ha- hoping to imagine that the baguette was on this sort of steady upward slope of progress, and that like you know, <laughs> in the year twenty one hundred there would be like an even better baguette that would be so delicious we'd look back on today's baguette with disgust, you know, or whatever. Yeah, there, m- I mean, there, there might, might be. It's like the, the the thing you least think is going to be affected
1: by technology is like, oh well, baguettes are getting more. Del- Delicious. like you, yeah. would, you wouldn't expect that well that's the wonderful thing about them what I mean is that I mean you could advance for example I would agree that they've advanced now that they have steam injection ovens and now yeah. that they're better but as, as far as making the process simpler and faster I don't I don't know if you could because what takes time is unless you found some sort of yeast which like
0: but that would be the next step like yeah. the, like like the next step would be genetically sort of, modified yeah, genetically yeast. modifying
1: yeast for like maximum deliciousness maximum so. deliciousness at low temperature Yeah. yeah, yeah. so yes
0: so there we go. So therein lies. If your question was, what is the future of the baguette, which I know, which I think it's fair to say it was, then the answer is that it lies in genetically modified yeast that, yeast. Is, yes. that, that creates more deliciousness faster. Yes. All right, yes, uh, you, sir, yes. So my friends and friends would fight to the end of the baguette, the really yeah. crunchy part. Do you have a favorite part? What's your favorite part of the baguette? Yeah. It's a wonderful question.
1: I like the, those, those crispy ear top thingies, the green. I like those. Like, if you, if you get a good one, you can just sort of, like, tear it off sideways and then you have like hard as rock leading into sort of soft interior in one bite. That is a very good part.
0: Uh, yes, yes, you ma'am, yes. Have you ever heard someone with a baguette? Have you ever heard someone with a baguette? Uh, I can't remember. Physically, physically I assume. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I can't remember if I have. <laughs> have I, you ever heard someone
0: emotionally with a baguette?
1: I don't think so either.
0: Really? Wow, so so baguette, do you? So you the, the baguette I to mean, you apart is, from
1: this audience tonight... <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I don't think so. Uh, yeah, Yes, you ma'am, yes. Do you have a favorite thing to bake? What's, What's your favorite thing to bake? Oh, mother. Um,
1: no, I was asking my mother, not your mother mother, no, my mother. my mother. Because
0: I was going to say, I don't know if you know, but you just said mother.
1: <laughs> no, as in most performance... <laughs> As is the case with most performances, my mother finds the most conspicuous spot to sit in the second row <laughs> under a light. Um, so I was actually referring and asking her. Uh, favorite thing to bake? Okay, um, probably croissants. Those are fun, yeah.
0: And uh, is that true? Do you think his favorite thing to bake is the croissant? Because yeah. of the
1: challenge. Sorry.
0: Because he likes the challenge. And are his croissants, are they, are they good? They are? They're pretty good? Do you bake Do you bake as well? Not as well as he does? Okay, all right. So we have agreement. We have agreement. It is the croissant. There we go. As as confirmed by his mother, why would she lie? <laughs> Anything else? Yes, 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 yes. Ace Bakery makes a whole wheat multi-grain baguette.
1: Ace Bakery multi baguette. <laughs> what, would, you eat, would you eat that baguette? I don't want to sound like a snob, but I wouldn't eat a whole-grain multi-grain baguette even not being a chicken. Just because if you want a whole-grain bread, then go for the whole-grain bread, but, like... A baguette is not, for me, a whole grain experience. You want it to just be like extremely chewy and crispy and you can't get that amount of chewiness and crispiness when you have that much fiber in the dough. It's just not possible.
0: All right, I think that's advice we can, we can take home with us. We'll wrap it up there, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Ben David, ladies and gentlemen. Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Shalom Kristalka podcast is produced by josh block our theme music was composed by matt smith trampoline hall is a sumo audio podcast you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes or your favorite podcast app you can also find us on twitter and facebook Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast it really helps us out uh, if you want to leave a rating or review on itunes so please go ahead and do that i'm misha globerman thanks for listening